Hamilton is sort of working on expanding vaccine development and vaccination infrastructure in developing nations. So this is really an opportunity for her and for Moderna to test some of that work and really hold themselves accountable to saying that they want to improve global health and public health. That's Max Bayer, a staff writer here at Fierce Biotech. Max and our colleague Angus Liu were on the ground covering last week's bioconference. Later, we'll talk with both of them about the event. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, June 16th. And to kick off the news rundown, we've got my colleague Eric Saganowski to help me share all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Thanks, Eric, for sharing the news with me today. Let's dive right into it. The first story, top of mind, was reported by Zoe Becker. It's about a COVID lawsuit. BioNTech is going to soon defend itself in Germany against allegations that its COVID-19 vaccine that it developed in partnership with Pfizer came with harmful side effects. So that's pretty scary considering we all rushed to get vaccinated so we could be safe and life could eventually go back to normal. What is the lawsuit about? Sure. Thanks, Teresa. This lawsuit was filed by a German healthcare worker who's seeking at least 150,000 euros in damages. The alleged harm includes upper body pain and a sleeping disorder. In Germany, drug companies are only on the hook for damages if the medical science can prove that their products have an incorrect label or cause undue harm. So this woman's law firm will have the task of challenging the drug's risk-benefit profile in court. And when does this all go down? Are these complaints of side effects common? Yeah, it was supposed to begin this week, uh, but it's been postponed. I'm not sure of the exact date that it'll start. Um, it depends what your definition of common is. There were at least 768 million COVID-19 vaccine doses given in Europe. Among them, uh, the European Medicines Agency has tracked almost 1.7 million accounts of suspected side effects. Hmm. It's it's in the millions, so it seems like a lot, but compared to how many doses were administered, it doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm sure this isn't the only lawsuit. We'll have to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Another story we were following is the drama between Aritech and an activist investor. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, James Waldron reported this story. I guess both sides were firing off press releases to persuade the Aritech's shareholders to see their own point of view. And for those that haven't been following the drama, the investor group called Acadian Partners has come out in opposition to Aritech's planned merger with another French biotech called Pharisides. So what are they arguing about? The backstory is that the merger would apply Aritech's expertise to Pharisides' current focus of extended phage therapies, which are a type of natural bacteria-killing virus. Shareholders are due to vote on the deal later this month, but in recent weeks, Acadian has tried to initiate legal proceedings to stall the vote. This week, both sides are taking no prisoners in their press release. Uh, First, Aritech accused Acadian of spreading disinformation about the planned merger and warned that the deal is the biotech's best shot at avoiding liquidation. Acadian hit back the following day, claiming the merger would in fact be a death warrant for Aritech. And so there's really no sign of truce anytime soon. So we'll be keeping an eye on that shareholder vote next week. Yeah, that sounds intense. Uh, Another story we're following, Huma just announced on Monday that their disease agnostic health management software just got an FDA approval. So what does that mean? How could doctors use this tool now? 
So the software can now be more direct in offering clinical recommendations to patient users and their doctors. And Andrea Park reported this story. She wrote that before securing the clearance, the platform could only compile patient data into a single location. And then from there, doctors had to draw their own conclusions. So now now that it has the FDA clearance, the software can analyze the data itself and then present its findings, kind of like as hints to patients or advice to doctors to improve care. That's pretty wild. So how does it work? Huma's platform collects information by connecting to companion apps and tools and a range of wearable devices. So that can include a heart rate and blood sugar monitors. It can include smart inhalers. And it can also ask users to self-report their daily symptoms into a smartphone app. And then the analysis is conducted by a host of built-in algorithms. So Wow. Sounds kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, This week, Phil Taylor also reported that Medtronic issued a warning about one of its Vanta implantable neurostimulators, which are used for pain relief. Medtronic said that the device may stop working if patients are given cardioversion therapy, and that is the process of using chemicals or electrical shocks to restore a normal heartbeat. So tell us more about that warning. Sure. This came in the form of a urgent field safety notice. The notice warned about two reports of defects in Medtronic's model 977006 Vanta devices. In these cases, a cardioversion procedure damaged the electronics, and the company said that the devices were, quote, unresponsive and non-functional. And so these Vanta implantable neurostimulators, when they're not damaged, how do they work? Yeah, so these these devices are implanted near the spinal cord. They emit electrical pulses to intercept and block pain signals in the nervous systems before they can reach the brain. Um, in both cases where the d- devices were damaged here, the patients had to have the implants surgically removed and replaced in order to restore their pain relief. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. When this device was first approved in 2021 to treat chronic pain, it was billed as an advance to some of the rival offerings. This is because its battery life can reach up to 11 years, depending on its settings. Others need to be replaced every few years. Mm -hmm. So one more story uh, from Ben Adams this week was about the first ever RSV vaccines in the United States. Uh, GSK and Pfizer are gearing up to launch the shots this fall, but there's still work to do in making sure older adults are aware of the new shots. Ben reviewed a survey by Social Health Organization Health Union The survey questioned more than 3,000 older adults in the United States and found that just 35% of them had heard of an RSV vaccine. There's a caveat, though. The survey was taken back in March, two months before the FDA headlines came down about the world's first RSV vaccine from GSK. After that approval, the FDA swiftly followed up with a second approval for the vaccine from Pfizer. Well, those approvals were pretty recent, and there hasn't been a big push with awareness or ad campaigns yet. There's still plenty of time, plenty of room for people to get to know these new vaccines. Yeah, there is an imperative. Um, RSV is a common cold virus, but it can cause serious health problems and even death in very young people and adults over 60. The survey backed up the survey backed this up. It found that four in 10 who have contracted RSV said their experiences were severe or very severe. Mm-hmm. This is higher than those who answered the same questions for COVID-19, flu, and shingles. Oh, wow. And just as a side note, I've already seen one of these commercials on my own TV. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for sharing the news with me, Eric. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Teresa.
the U.S. public health emergency for COVID-19 officially ended last month. It has been more than three years since the U.S. declared COVID a national health emergency. And now it's time to look back at what we all went through. It's safe to say the pandemic reshaped the biopharma industry. So we at Fierce Pharma are asking you to tell us your pandemic stories in photographs. Consider it Biopharma's COVID yearbook. Only this one will hopefully be published just once. Let's make it a reminder of what the life science community can achieve when all its members put their heads together. Please submit your photos to Fierce Pharma. For complete submission guidelines, take a look at the link in our show notes for today. You can find it at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. Two of our fierce writers were at the Bio International Convention in Boston last week. In just a minute, they'll join me to talk about what went down at the event. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. City National Bank offers the best of both worlds. Their clients benefit from personalized attention and flexible solutions without sacrificing access to the global scale, support, and resources needed to grow in the healthcare industry. If you're in the business of facilitating patient care or finding cures, they're committed to working with and for you every step of the way. City National, your success is their business. Visit cnd.com slash healthcare to learn more today. Max and Angus, thanks for taking the time to chat with me about the bio conference in Boston last week. Angus, I know you moderated a few panels at the event, and I want to get to those too. But first, I want to talk with Max about a few stories that you wrote while you were at the event. One of them was about Jazz Pharmaceuticals. You said that reps from Jazz Pharmaceuticals were at the event, basically looking for deals, you know, given the current M&A market. So I know you talked with CEO Bruce Kozad. What did he have to say? Uh, well, he told me Jazz were on the hunt for for some for some partnerships for some deals, uh, and I know that that might sort of sound like a, a, a bit of a, of obvious news, but I think he he sort of said it with a bit of a clarity that uh, you don't necessarily often hear. I think oftentimes companies are sort of talking in broad strokes, but he said that the company is looking at either sort of a medium uh, size deal, but that they also have the financing for a large deal um, and that they would focus on bolstering the company's existing neurology and oncology portfolios, which are sort of the foundation of the company. Um, and that includes uh, a HER2 targeting cancer treatment, uh, Xanadatamab. Um, and that's part of a partnership with Zymeworks uh, that that's worth more than uh, $1 billion. Uh, they had just presented some uh, new mid-stage clinical data at ASCO, so he was sort of riding a high off of that. Uh, Jazz's most recent acquisition was a $7.2 billion purchase of GW Pharma in early 2021, which added um, uh, an approved cannabinoid med, uh, Epidiolex, to Jazz's portfolio. Okay. And you also had another interesting conversation at Bio with Hamilton Bennett, the Senior Director of Vaccine Access and Partnerships at Moderna. So I understand that Moderna is working on an MPOX vaccine development, and a trial is scheduled for this summer. So what did Hamilton Bennett have to say uh, when you spoke to her? I have been wanting to talk to Hamilton for a few years now, dating back to when I covered COVID at at CBS because (laughs) of her work sort of orchestrating the rollout of the vaccines and the development of them. So this was a real treat. Um, And so I asked asked her about 
uh, the company's MPOX plans. Um, Stefan Bansel had told me in an interview at the beginning of this year that uh, the company, it didn't necessarily seem like a high priority for the company, given that the MPOX outbreaks in the US and, and across uh, must, much of the Western nations were waning. Um, and so he sort of seemed to throw cold water on some of the preclinical work that the company had announced uh, in May of last year. Uh, but then uh, Stephen Hogue had sort of alluded to the, the the company actually launching trials. And Hamilton Bennett told me that a phase one, two trial of the MPOX vaccine is going to start uh, in about a month or so, sometime this summer. Um, she sort of, when I asked about Bansell's comments uh, in, in the context of that move, she had sort of said that he was speaking in broad strokes about priorities on the scale of COVID. Uh, so not necessarily mm-hmm. whether or not the company would actually pursue an MPOX vaccine, but whether it had the priority level of, okay, let's make this the, the 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 top priority, something that we're putting much of our resources towards. And Hamilton is sort of working on expanding vaccine development and vaccination infrastructure uh, in, in developing nations, including in Africa. So this is really an opportunity for her and for Moderna to test um, some of that work and, and, and really hold themselves accountable, if you will, to saying that they want to improve global health and public health. Um, the vaccine itself would target the family of orthopox viruses, which includes smallpox, similar to uh, Bavarian Nordic's candidate. Right. Okay. And you had another story that I wanted to talk about. But first, Angus, let's talk about the panels that you moderated. So you did a panel on forging biotech alliances in China. This sounded really interesting to me. One of the key takeaways was that despite capital market issues and despite tensions between China and the U.S., innovations will continue and biopharma partnerships will continue. So what can we expect moving forward? Yeah, Teresa, I think one of the uh, interesting topics that the panelists touched upon is just be prepared for a very fast work pace. Um, in China, we're working with Chinese companies. There's this just high-speed flow of information and interactions uh, when Western companies work with Chinese biotechs. I mean, this is a topic that I didn't expect uh, from the panel. Uh, I was totally mm-hmm. prepared to discuss uh, technologies, uh, invest, investment environment, but uh, Jasmine Tsui, uh, she is CEO of InnoCare. She just brought it up. She joked that there's no life-work balance uh, in China. <laughs> and uh, of course, this hard work translates into results. Uh, I mean, Harmion Borgelt, uh, he is Genentech's head of BD in Asia. He said that these companies, uh, they often execute and deliver, sometimes ahead of time. And he brought up this interesting uh, case where his team just spotted a company in the Chinese city of Chengdu on a Friday, and they asked the biotech company for a coffee. The company just came back immediately and offered to meet them at noon on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was you wouldn't expect that from from any Western companies to devote your own time uh, on a Sunday to a business talk. But uh, obviously, the Genentech team, uh, they flew in on Saturday. And of course, when you go to Chengdu, uh, you have to see the pandas first. Uh, so they did that and had that <laughs> meeting on Sunday. So what Harmion said was, it's not about the work-life bi- balance. It's more about the commitment, just the mm-hmm. commitment the Chinese biotech company have to those partnerships. Yeah, that is really fast. I sent out an email on Friday, and I don't even expect people to reply until the next week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I know that during the panel discussion, you talked with 
Xilab's chief business officer, Jonathan Wang, about the differences from a regulatory perspective. Can you tell us about that? Uh, Jonathan, uh, he raised an example on the regulatory side. Um, that China has very tight regulations. Uh, they're easing it uh, a little bit these days, but still very tight regulations around human genetic data. Um, but this is very important for bi uh, biomedical research. Um, but they, China has very tight regulations. And his advice is just to uh, communicate whatever differences up front uh, between the two partners to kind of ease any potential anxieties when these problems uh, do uh, come up. Right. I, I think both, you know, CARES, Jasmine, and Zylab's Jonathan, they pointed to the large patient pool in China for running clinical trials and obviously the commercial opportunity there because of that large population. And uh, I, I think Ruo uh, Genentech's Harmian also made this point that for clinical development, you want to move really fast. And it would be better if you can start uh, enrolling patients in China to help speed things up, speed uh, your clinical uh, clinical trials enrollment fast uh, if you include China. But the FDA recently pushed back against China-only data. But still, Hamian saw no hurdles to using Chinese data, uh, but it'd still be better to have that development strategy laid out early with potential partners. And Angus, I know you cover cancer drugs in depth at Fierce. Can you tell us about the panel you moderated on checkpoint inhibitors? Those are a type of drug that block proteins called checkpoints. And why do we want to block them? Well, because these proteins stop the immune system from attacking the cancer cells. So can you talk about that panel a little bit? Yeah, our check inhibitor panel, we talked about the future of these drugs. Obviously, they have made the headlines over the past decade or so. But um, uh, Ian Waters, uh, he is the CEO of Portage Biotech. He made a very good uh, comparison. He described PD-1. Of course, we know this. PD-1 is about removing a break signal of T cells. But to take a foot off that break, he said, we also need to kind of press on the gas and have someone steering the car. Meaning right now, checkpoint inhibitors have partially solved the problem of, uh, of kind of removing that break, but we still need something to activate T cells, to activate uh, the immune system, to hit uh, on the gas of the immune system. And I also look at other components of the immune system as well as cancer microenvironment to steer the immune response uh, at cancer properly. Mm -hmm. And what about Roche's liver cancer data, which had just been talked about at ASCO? What did the panel have to say about that? Uh, this is just uh, the Roche surprisingly good uh, liver cancer data for its TIGIT program, the combination of Tocentric, uh, the TIGIT, Teragomal, uh, plus Avastin, at ASCO. Um, there was obviously the problem that the control arm underperformed, uh, but Ian Waters, again, uh, CEO of Portage, he noticed that the control arm actually had some favorable prognostic factors that the experimental arm did not have, meaning that the control arm could have performed better, but it didn't. So we might, his argument is that we might be seeing, we might have seen a real robust signal uh, from there. So, but still, we don't know how best to control for liver cancer studies. Um, and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of uncertainties uh, from a phase two trial where still, it is an encouraging signal, but we still have to wait until a phase three study to really reach um, 
a conclusion. Max, let's get back to you. At Bio, you covered a story about a weight loss drug that could be repurposed to help people quit other bad habits like smoking or drinking. That would be Eli Lilly's drug, Munjaro. You spoke with Senior Vice President Andrew Adams. What did he have to say? Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, the interesting about this is is there have been anecdotes uh, for – uh, uh, a few months now, at least, um, mainly related to uh, uh, Novo Nordisk, uh, uh, WeGovi, and, and, and Ozempic, uh, mm-hmm. and and their potential impact on on people who drink or smoke, and their ability to sort of uh, have a cessation benefit uh, due to that. Uh, obviously, Munjaro is, is is only approved for type two diabetes. It's in the process of being added as uh, a weight management uh, a pill, and, and it's in the process of, of working on that though it's been sort of spoken about in the same category. So just, just to preface that, Adams told me that the company is aware of those anecdotes and and very closely looking at them. Um, but he, he did sort of caution that it's very difficult to clinically prove a cessation benefit, particularly if you're thinking about something like drinking, given that uh, Manjaro and this class of drugs used for weight management impacts caloric intake, right? So it's it's hard to delineate clinically between whether drinking, because it's you know, it, it has calories and it, and it, uh, you, you know, is sort of a, a, a beverage, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with calories that it's not just sort of a part of the larger, uh, feeling to drink and eat less. Um, and, you know, but, and, and so neither Lily nor Novo have launched their own trials at this, but I thought it was interesting to sort of get the first company on the record saying that they were closely looking at it makes you sort of wonder whether or not that's something they take forward as, as more uh, uh, formal clinical research. Outside researchers have already started to look at this, and again, mainly with Novo's candidates uh, and their products, mm-hmm. uh, including one at the University of North Carolina, which is looking at the benefit of Ozempic on people with alcohol use disorder. Well, thank you. And and thank you both for talking with me about this. Did you have a good time at Bio? Despite all your hard work? I know you both were busy. It was, busy, it was busy. fun. I think it was, uh, yeah. they're busy and they were, de- this was definitely a newsier conference than last year's Bio. And it was wonderful to see Angus in person and to see him on some of his panels and, uh, and some other journalism colleagues. Because I came from ASCO directly from Chicago and ASCO uh, to this, I turned down a lot of meetup requests. I mean, I was like, I wanted to focus on my panels. I don't want to do <laughs> too many interviews at Bio this year. So uh, that was my mentality heading into the conference. But we hang out in the press room. <laughs> Angus, <laughs> Angus declined to come to the uh, the after Bio event on Thursday out of pure exhaustion. <laughs> But no, this year's was 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 more PG. It was like they just had a, an artist perform, uh, someone like sang and perform at this venue. Cool. Downtown, so it was fun. Cool, cool. That's it for the top line. I'm Teresa Carey. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's the bottom line from the top line. <laughs>